And welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here you hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. Last week, we had the story Lifeboat, uh, two travelers stuck in an escape pod hovering somewhere off a moon around Jupiter. It's a pretty funny survival misadventure written by a man we'll be speaking with shortly, Jeffrey Adams. Uh, Jeffrey Adams is the artistic director behind the Icebox Radio Theater, which in his own words means that he's the head cook and bottle washer. Uh, he's a prolific writer, though, uh, with experience with published plays, film, and short stories outside of radio. And uh, his radio history, actually, is really quite impressive. It's extended back to when he lived and produced in Oregon. He's had stuff that's uh, won some awards. Um, Imagination X, uh, stuff that was performed for the uh, Convergent Science Fiction uh, stage. And uh, I had a chance to speak with him on the phone this past week and chat about the work that he does, where it comes from, where he sees it's going. I had a really great time, and I hope you enjoy his insights as well. So, Jeffrey Adams, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And now you are in International Falls, uh, Minnesota, if I got that correct? That is correct, yes. And um, as part of the Icebox Radio Theater. Um, do you want to just talk a little bit about um, Icebox Radio? Our listeners did hear uh, last week your piece Lifeboat, which is uh, uh-huh. part of a longer series you know, with all kinds of other uh, pieces. So uh, maybe a little bit of how that all came about. Well, actually, I'm not from this part of the country originally. Okay. And my family and I moved out about three years ago now, and I'm from the West Coast and had never even lived in the, in the Midwest before. And I'm kind of looking around this, this small town, just a little background on the town where we're about uh, 7,000 people, and we're rather remote. You drive through probably an hour and a half of just rocks and trees and deer and the occasional moose to get here. And uh, it, it's a unique place. It's a place with a fair amount of resonance with folks around the country. People have heard of this town because of our weather. Uh, we end up on the Weather Channel quite a bit. And just as I was looking around the first month we were here, I got to thinking, you know, this this seems like an interesting place, and it seems like a place in which you could have quite a few stories. Okay. And there there wasn't so much uh, a, a literary tradition. You know, this is a town that's about um, hunting, fishing, and hockey, right, basically. Right. So there isn't what you call an intelligentsia present there. And I'd been doing audio drama in my, uh, my previous home back in Oregon on the internet, and when I, I had this idea, well, geez, let's just let's just try telling stories. It all kind of fell into place because I found people who were interested in acting that didn't have an outlet. And uh, then I found uh, a radio station manager here in town who loves radio drama and was willing to give us airtime and equipment and, and really helped us get our start. And it all just kind of moved from an interest in the town. Yeah. There was one particular moment. It was a January day. It was about... Oh, five above, I think, five to ten above. So a nice crisp day, what we would call it here. Yeah. And I was taking a walk around town, looked up at our, our monument, which is a Smokey the Bear statue. They do that in northern Minnesota. Every town's got some kind of a statue of a big thing. Sure. And just looking at this thing said, hey, what would, it, what would happen if that thing started walking around? <laughs> and that was kind of the genesis of the whole theater and did eventually turn into a play that's uh, Tall Bears. Yeah, I, I I just saw that uh, is is recently produced, and I, I think uh, any of our main listeners who uh, are familiar with the Bangor area, there's the gigantic Paul Bunyan statue. So that's uh, yeah. you know we, we have a couple of those elements mirrored here certainly. So uh, that that's very cool. So um, now a lot of your stuff is performed in front of a live audience as well. It, it is it's a sort of a unique approach I think maybe a little bit that you take. Well, we do. We we started out 
um, sort of going under the edicts of the station that gave us our start. And the the director of the station, or the manager of the station, his one insistence was that we perform live. Okay. And and that was in the basement of the station. We just uh, we went out over the air uh, with live sound effects and live actors, and it was it was broadcast as it was being performed. Uh, but as we began to move forward, we got the opportunity to do shows in front of a, of a live audience. Uh, there was a church that asked us to come in and do Christmas Carol, and then there was a chance to do a show uh, in the summertime. We have a nice outdoor amphitheater here, and we did a show there. And uh, as, as the theater began to develop and, and we formed our first board, you know, doing the business end to trying to become a nonprofit, it was really the board's idea to say, hey, why don't we do more live shows? And that led uh, last year to a series of uh, four straight shows at, at our local community center auditorium. And so it, it, it was, I, I can't say it would have been my preference, but it's it sort of how things developed that we started doing essentially radio theater, which is a radio show, but it was specifically done for a live audience. Okay, and that's sort of fun. Was, was Lifeboat one of those as well? I'm sorry. Uh, was Lifeboat um, live as well, or was it? No, Lifeboat was one that was done live in studio. I'd say okay. it was live over the air. Right. Okay. Because it, it it sounded like um, you know I, I've you know you sometimes hear the audience on some of the other ones, um, but uh, yeah, and that you know uh, for people who haven't heard more of your work, um, a lot of them do center on that small town uh, Minnesota thing, which is is very fun and and sort of quirky, and I think you do a great job of finding, you know. Uh, what it's not just a small town it's there's some something funny and and sort of magical kind of um to it all which is, is kind of great and i, I think it, even even lifeboat uh, does that as well it's it's science fiction then suddenly it's not <laughs> yeah we shouldn't give away the ending in case they haven't heard it but yeah it, yeah. it it's uh it was the community they really just it was it was a it was a place with a real strong sense of place and i find it resonates with people all over the country. Um, the thing about the Midwest is, is Midwesterners are everywhere. You know, they, they move out and go. And then when they move out and go, well, this is still home. And uh, we're hoping to uh, to go national. And we actually had a very good week this week because a station in Alaska has licensed uh, the entire first season of, oh, wow. of Icebox Radio Theater. Yeah, uh, KNTA. And, 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 you know, there, there you go, prime example. Alaskans, I think, have a lot in common with Minnesota and and uh, it just these stories hopefully resonate with a lot of different people. Excellent. Well, that's, yeah, it's certainly a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, who who are some of the people you work with? Uh, who it's um, you know obviously you have uh, actors, and then you work with the radio st- uh, st- you know studio environment, and um, mm-hmm. uh, what, and then you have also written a lot of the stuff. Yeah, I was I'd say the primary writer mm-hmm. going in, um, and that was really how I started out. I didn't start producing anything. So I'll say five or six years ago, and I've been... And it, the, the tough part is, and I think you probably found this with, uh, with uh, I'm going to get the name wrong, Final Room Production? Yeah, no, you got it, yep. Okay, I got it. Um, because it's radio theater, because we're not doing something that is understood by folks like um, making a movie, right. it takes the community a while to sort of warm up. It's not that they're hostile, it's just they don't know what it is you're doing. Yeah. So in the interim, us founders have to pretty much do everything yeah. Um, writing was my first job. I was writing right out of college. I was writing 15 years ago. Okay. And moving into production was more of a necessity because of, uh, you know, the reality of audio drama. It's, it's not like there's studios somewhere that you can send scripts to and right. and have them produce. But uh, locally, we've got um, some of the people that have been involved are people that work at the radio station where I work. Uh, Gene G specifically was one of the featured players in Lifeboat. 
the the deeper voice gentleman of the two, okay. and he's a broadcast professional. He's been in radio for 20 years. Um, other than that, there's an awful lot of talented people, but we you know, my my philosophy has always been radio drama is not a real common art form. So you can go just as far with some earnest and talented amateurs than you can with say voice artists. Right. Um, because you, you know we're all learning this from the the get go anyway. And I really don't have access to voice artists up here other than, uh, you know, doing things over the phone or over the Internet. And, and it's really not what we're about right now. We are, we are, we want to be a national concern, but we're also kind of a community theater as well. And I, I want the shows to reflect the people who are here. Yeah. So Ayla Nordrum is just uh, uh, an amateur actor, a bank teller here in town. She's very talented. Neil Smith, who's the first voice who ever appeared, uh, he's a retired math teacher. And it, it sort of goes like that right down the line. We have housewives. We have uh, a lot of teenagers. Uh, there's there's not a real theater program here in town, so uh, the kids who are sort of theatrically inclined gravitate towards us. Uh, but it, it, it is there's some talented people, but it's it's a good community mix as well. Yeah, I think that's a great you know thing if you think about um, you know the what radio can do, and I think. Um, it's it's collaborative in a way that you know other things aren't collaborative, both on the production end and then the people who listen to it. Um, you know, radio radio's got that um, something something that you know. Obviously, it's great to have all the people on the internet as well, but the uh, the power of the radio, the the physical <laughs> radio station, the transmitter, is still still has a role too. I think uh, in communities. Oh yeah, it's it's and the amazing thing is when I got into this, I started doing a lot of. Uh, reading about old-time radio because I was a history major, and that's just how my brain works. Sure. And I, I, what I've read is even during the Golden Age, even when you know radio was a major entertainment industry, it still had that reputation. It was very accessible. It was, it was kind of a small town. People all, you know, small town in New York and, and Hollywood, each other own communities. Yeah. But it, it was just this very friendly, open uh, type of atmosphere. It was kind of difficult to get into that group, but once you were there... You know, I, I, there's a book I'm looking at it right now. It's called "This Was Radio," and it's about an actor, and his credit list is in the hundreds. And and it was just it was it was very you know the people who loved it really loved it, yeah. and even those that gravitated away from it. You know, Orson Welles in one of his biographies said he wished he'd never left radio. Yeah. Uh, he you know, he went to Hollywood. He made one great film, and then spent the rest of his life trying to repeat that. And um, he might have been better off just sticking in radio. We might have still have radio for some while since stayed Maybe. with us. Maybe, uh, yeah, I, I remember. I mean, some of his work uh, with the Mercury Theater, like the yes. Hitchhiker, um, was one, still one of my favorite uh, suspense pieces. Uh, so, and how much for you? What what uh, brought you to uh, radio uh, in the first place then? Or, or how did that genesis begin? Well, really, the truth is it was the only art form that would have me. Okay, sure. <laughs> It is, you know, that accessibility thing again. Yeah. The the story in 10 seconds or less, out of college, it was fiction, went nowhere with that. Yeah. Um, moved to theater, stage plays, and I'd done a lot of theater in high school and found almost immediate success with that, but didn't really feel like the the modern theater in America was interested in the, one, in the types of stories I wanted to tell. Yeah. Uh, brief time writing screenplays, and I'd like to go back to that because that's I really consider that our national art form, yeah. really, the movies. Yeah. Um, but the reality was there, there was other choices I made. I marry a wonderful woman and we have two wonderful kids and she's a librarian and, and keeps me fed and happy. Mm -hmm. And, um, really,
absolutely there was you know there was responsibilities around the home that I I wasn't going to pick everyone up and move us to Los Angeles so I could hammer away at screenplays. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. meanwhile, meanwhile this internet thing was going on. Yeah, um, there's a a really important person in my life personally, Scott Hickey, mm-hmm. who runs a show out of Lowell, Massachusetts called the Gristmill. Oh yeah, we actually um, had him. He was one of our uh, yeah. He, he was one of the first people that. Uh, threw, oh great! Yeah, yeah. through Brian um, Price down in. Uh, uh, sure. No, Brian very well. <laughs> Like so. that reminds me, I need to call Brian. <laughs> okay. But yeah, uh, uh, Scott was Scott was the first person I knew in radio who actually paid real money. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was you know yeah. only like twenty bucks, but yeah. and I remember thinking one time talking on the phone to him, saying, you know, as long as I have Scott Hickey, I'll always be a professional writer. Right. And and that's what sort of opened the door in my mind, like, well, why not just do this? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, there doesn't appear to be much of a market now, but you could be part of creating a market. Right. And and that was really how I got into it. And then, the more you do it, the more you realize, wow, I can go anywhere. Yeah. I can do anything with a story. I mean, I can outer space inside of a single cell. Um, and then on top of that, there is this entire canon of mm-hmm. plays that are virtually unknown. One of the things we like to do at the IBRT, at the Icebox mm-hmm. Radio Theater, is now and again in the mix we do a recreation of an old-time radio script. Oh, great. Uh, Revolt of the Worms, uh, a Lights Out episode. We did that last Halloween, and just for fun, we did a, a uh, the Halloween before that. We did the Strange Doctor Weird, which was meant as a horror series when it aired in the '40s. But it's if you play it straight, it's absolutely hilarious yeah. now. And no one's doing this, you know. And and you start asking around as to who owns the rights to these scripts. Nobody seems to know. Yeah. Uh, CBS and NBC really aren't pursuing them anymore. So there's just there's such a potential here to do things. And then as, as I de- deal more with kids, as I work with kids, what I discover is these people who are, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, they love this stuff. Yeah. They start to listen. They listen online. And anything that, that connects with kids has a future. Yeah. Um, it, it's that 45 to 65 range that thinks of it as old-fashioned and, oh, that's just what we had before television. Right. Those are the people that you, we just have to kind of forget about. We can connect with the older generation because they remember the golden age, and we can connect with the younger generation because they don't have any preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. And that means there's a future in this. Wow, that's that's, that's an interesting um, uh, uh, spin on it because that's you know that's that's something that I think all you know radio drama people who, who you know are sort of I think very much in the same boat, but you know feel that it's it's finding that younger audience or finding a way to you know tell people this is a living art form that makes it so you know that that is uh, so important for it. Um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, so obviously, uh, young people are important. Do you have any other thoughts on sort of how, you know, if, you know, how can radio drama, you know, be, become mainstream or not even mainstream, but like, you know, find a, find an audience like would obviously you wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you didn't think it, you know, it had some sort of future in that direction. No, I'm not that deluded, but yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I think radio, well, radio's one great strength has always been, it's so incredibly adaptable. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it, you didn't, if you wanted to change the format of a radio station, um, you, you just started playing new records one day. Yeah. You know, there was no building new sets or, or promoting the thing. And I think what, what younger people have discovered mm-hmm. is, wow, you know, we can put on a show, we can put on any kind of show we want, mm-hmm. and it's not that it's so incredibly flexible. Yeah. Um, then you add the element of the Internet, yeah. which has, you know, I think the real strength of the Internet as far as audio is concerned is that it's filling a void. You know, before 
MP3s and podcasts became common. If you looked around, the audio universe was shrinking. You know, the record store was becoming extinct. Radio, oh, don't even talk to me about what's going on to broadcast radio. I mean, it's it's becoming homogenized and and bland. Kids weren't going to the radio because your average city had six different FM oldies stations. It wasn't speaking to them. So, you know, I mean, I think there's a future for video online, but Mm -hmm. the fact is we have plenty of video. We've got DVDs, we've got cable, we've got all this stuff. We don't have audio, and that's where I think uh, the audio universe is, is it's been gravitating towards the online stuff because that's, you know, that was that was where you could find audio content, whether it be music or drama or whatever. And I think the future lies in the fact that, you know, anyone can do this. Mm-hmm. And when kids realize that, kids today are, they're very into telling their own stories. They're, they're used to doing it with video cameras and, and you know, what's, what's, YouTube and webcams and all that stuff. Once they find out that with audio, hey, you know, you can you can distribute a story nationally and you can make it sound pretty darn good. You know, if you get your camera and go make a movie with your friends, it's going to look like a home movie. Yeah, if, yeah. Unless you drop a few thousand big grand. Yeah. But audio, you know, tell stories, tell it honest from the heart, and you're not that far away from sounding like NPR. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I can certainly attest to that with uh, my budget of fifty bucks <laughs> here and there. Oh wow! Uh, no, I think you're in the ha- I think you're in the above the fiftieth percentile already. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you know, that, that's I think that's great. That's really um, that, that's sort of a fresh opinion on it because I've always thought about sort of the economic sides, but I haven't thought about you know what is what is the the, the driving factor that's going to sort of drive it. And I think that's mm-hmm. a, a really great point. Um, you know, and, and so sort of who are, who maybe uh, in, a, in a nutshell would be some of your inspirations in audio? I know, um, you know, both both OTR and then sort of uh, new people's work that right. you, you find interesting. Well, I can point it right back to one series specifically, mm-hmm. and that was, uh, it's little known now, but it was called Bradbury 13. Okay. And it was, uh, it was produced by, of all people, Brigham Young University Media mm-hmm. Services in the 80s. Uh, early 80s. Now, I didn't listen to it when it was on the air, but I discovered it in a cassette collection in my local public library. Oh, and and I had the opportunity, actually, to find the guy who produced it. His name is Mike McDonough, and he still lives in Provo, Utah, and he still does work for film, sound work for film and video. Mm-hmm. And I talked talk to him on the phone, and this was literally how I started in audio, because when I heard this show, I said, that. That's what I want my stuff to sound like. Yeah. Uh, it was stereo. It was rich. And the, the format of the series was 13 stories by Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Ray Bradbury being the guy who started out in radio, uh, he was perfectly willing to basically give them the rights to these older kind of 50s vintage science fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, hearing these, I just said, you know, that's what I want to do. There was some humor. There was uh, some sci-fi. There was an out-and-out horror piece. You know, Bradbury had that way of just telling stories. It didn't really, he'd cross genres in the middle of the story, he'd cross a genre. And, and that was uh, that was the beginning. And after that, like you say, I, I, I looked back more than forward. Mm-hmm. A lot of the shows that are being produced, like in the 70s and the 80s, um, you, you know, there just wasn't the same quality or magic as the old-time radio, although... New techniques made a huge difference. Yeah. Moving into stereo made a huge difference, and and uh, I think that probably the the shows I'm most influenced by in terms of OTR, Lights Out, Arch Obler. Um, I do like a Canadian series called Nightfall, that also was was post OTR. It was aired in the 80s, 
and and that was some of the best horror that had ever been online. And other than that, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of individual episodes here and there. Suspense seems to come up quite a bit. You know, even though suspense is not overtly a horror series, and that's yeah. kind of my thing is horror sci-fi. Uh, but there's so many quality suspense episodes. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and you've actually featured a, a f- your podcast for a little while now, um, and the uh, sound stages you've you've sort of touched mm-hmm. on. You, you definitely, I remember a couple of uh, episodes that definitely lean towards the the sci-fi horror. Um, uh, yeah, it was it, sound stages was it was a lot of fun, but it, um, it that's discontinued now because yeah. I it wasn't what I was hoping it was going to be. Yeah. I was literally spending like twenty minutes a week on it, and that's not what I wanted to do. Uh, and but it was the great thing about sound stages is when I uh, I was committed to do a weekly podcast, mm-hmm. and I knew I didn't have enough stuff myself, so I yeah. met a lot of people. Yeah, and really had a chance to kind of expand my horizon. So it gave me a much better idea as to what's being produced now. And and that's impossible to keep track of. I, I no joke. No joke. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, you, well, you know exactly because you do this radio show. Well, yeah, but, it's, it's a podcast. Is I think you know, uh, you know. First off, there's audio, which is cheap and sort of accessible, and then the podcasting right. has given the you know means of getting it out there, which is pretty cool. Global, and you know, people like iTunes that'll get your podcast yeah. up in two or three days. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes forever to actually get into. Uh, into their their what do they call it their favorites or their featured category? Yeah. I've I've still got to find out how Decoder Ring Theater does it because yeah. they're you know, maybe you just pay iTunes money I don't know but <laughs> yeah. you have to really dig to find my stuff on there and they pop right up when you put in radio drama. Yeah. Oh cool. Well, um, and so where's uh, Icebox Radio uh, Theater headed? I I know you uh, have a couple new pieces up. Um, is there are there any particular pieces you're working on now that you're pretty excited about? Well, I, there's two pieces. I could talk about a, a personal piece, and I can talk about an icebox, just the general direction of the theater. The theater is is uh, on hiatus now, I guess you could say, but it's a working hiatus. We are we are doing a lot of business stuff. You know, I, I really when I started IBRT, what I wanted more than anything else is I didn't want this to be the Jeff Adams show. I wanted this to be substantial. You know, I would this would be bigger than me if I stepped in front of a truck tomorrow. The theater would keep going. Right. Um, so we're doing all this nonprofit organization and boards of directors and blah blah blah. And uh, the last year, I I think from July, January 2006 to January 2007, I produced 11 live shows, and that really that really meant I couldn't I didn't have time for anything else. Right. And and uh, the direction the theater is going right now, we are going to do another live show here in town on uh, in August. We might do another one before that, but it's unclear. But really, the focus is on January 2008. Uh, a radio station here in town does broadcast our stuff, um, you, you know, as we produce it. Or, or a radio station here in town does what we call IBRT Season 1, which is available at prx.org if people want to check out us out there. That's a public radio kind of uh, warehouse-type place, and you can hear samples of the work there. And we are going to have 13 brand new plays by January of 08, or at least we're going to have a few in the can by then so we can get maybe a few weeks ahead. But uh, the goal with the theater now is to maybe focus a little bit more on in-studio work. Um, Live is a lot of fun, but you're very, very limited as to how good it can be. Right, right. I mean, mean, the, the interesting thing about working live is you actually produce more. Because you, 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 all of the energy is focused so intently on this one point in time. You know, mm-hmm. curtain's going to be Friday at seven thirty. Everything has to be ready by then. Right. There's, there's no 
goofing off or waiting or whatever. So when you know, when the show starts, you start the recorder, and a half hour later, you have a completed show. Yeah. Um, but any mistakes that happen, technical mistakes that you just have to kind of live with. And right. uh, I, I am more interested in working in studio for that reason. Excellent. And then on, on the personal side? Well, there was a project that I have been, it's been in the back of my mind for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing it again as a, 13, a series of 13 half-hour episodes of a series. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could call it sort of um, Dante's Inferno meets, who would this be? Boy, I don't know. It's, well, it's a story about a woman that die, wakes up dead mm-hmm. in a place that's halfway between heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And and a, a spiritual journey, and also a journey of uh, imagination and 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 fantasy and horror, frankly. Um, and it's called the Shadowland. And I I actually have a blog up at Bloglines. Uh, if people want to search for that, I can't remember the exact address right now. But it's still in the script writing phase. And this might be something we're not going into production for a couple of years yet, because yeah. uh, I want to write all 13 episodes and then go back and almost examine that like a like one entity. Right. And uh, not sure that may only be a podcast. It may have something more, but the series is called The Shadowland, and I think it's it's a lot to do with my personal beliefs and uh, just trying to make sense of the universe as I see it, because it really doesn't make sense to me now. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. Uh, cool. Well, that sounds that that sounds very exciting. Uh, we definitely will check out for that, and I definitely want to encourage everybody uh, to check out uh, Icebox Radio Theater. You have all your stuff, actually. Um, at least a lot of your productions you can actually download the podcast at icebox.storiesonmp3.com. Uh, yep. You also have a pretty uh, active blog at iceboxradio.blogspot.com. Yes, we do. And actually, we've shortened the webpage now. It's just iceboxradio.org. Okay, great. We'll cool. take you there. And also want to let people know some of the older stuff uh, is, is now at iaxaudio.com. That's a whole other podcast. Cool. And that's Imagination X was the name of, the, of a series I did, a uh, 10-minute sci-fi, horror, and comedy uh, series that some were, some were actually award-winning. And that's a lot of fun, and that's another podcast that's available at iTunes and also at iaxaudio.com. Excellent. So there's tons and tons of great work oh, yeah. from your whole variety of stuff. So I uh, saved everything. I threw nothing away. Cool. Well, thanks so much for uh, for talking to us today. I definitely appreciate your insight and getting a chance to hear your work. Well, thanks for having me. All right, cool. From a, 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 a cooling uh, Maine, beautiful afternoon, uh, thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you, Freddie. And that was Jeffrey Adams the Icebox Radio Theater. And as you can hear, he has a long, long list of excellent listening if you care to hear more of his work, both at the Icebox Radio Theater and elsewhere. I know I certainly will be checking out some of his uh, less-known work as well as uh, the Ray Bradbury collection that he's speaking of. And I hope you do, too. Uh, now, next week, I'm very excited to play one of the most original stories uh, to feature yet here on Radio Drama Revival. Somewhere in the future, not too far away, workers of the world are saved from having to remember their day by a little yellow pill. Yet, one man forgets to take the magic pill one day. He soon realizes he's forgetting more than he understands. Make sure you tune in for Dream Seeds Buried in Falling Sand. For lack of a better word, it's cool. It's a great science fiction, edgy, uh, along the lines of uh, Philip K. Dick and others. Just a very, very well produced. Um, some great acting, sound effects. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. In the meantime, you can state your cravings for more news, reviews, discussion, and stories at our blog, www.radiodramarevival.com. You can also download previous episodes via the podcast. Also on the iTunes store, just do a search for Radio Drama Revival. Well, that's about it. Uh, Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week.